Three questions for you football fans. What in the world is going on in Detroit and Indianapolis? Would you go outside sleeveless if the wind chill was minus 59 degrees? And how old did my broadcast partner turn far away <laughs> she is holly culbertson i am adashina quirky and you're listening to down in distance on a lot of sports talk Once again, this is Adashina Korki, and this is Down in Distance once again, getting prepared for week nine of the National Football League. We have four undefeated teams still, and uh, here to talk about some of those undefeated teams, and hopefully we'll touch on the other 28 teams, but if we don't get to teams like the Tennessee Titans, hopefully your cousin uh, won't hold it against us that we don't <laughs> talk about the Tennessee Titans this week. Uh, Holly Culbertson is my co-host as always. Holly, how are you doing? I'm doing good. All right, so we're getting ready to talk about Week 9 of the National Football League. One game already in the books, the Cincinnati Bengals in the Buckeye State rivalry, uh, taking it to the Cleveland Browns by a score of 31-10. to 10. The Cincinnati Bengals are going to the playoffs again for a fifth consecutive year. They are four games clear of everybody else in the AFC North. And yes, being 8-0 means you are halfway to perfection. And... Um, you got to see the Cincinnati Bengals a few weeks ago. They went into Buffalo and uh, won against the Buffalo Bills. When seeing the Cincinnati Bengals, it's almost hard to believe knowing, at least for all the years that we've followed football, okay? We probably started following football when the Bengals were good in the Boomer Esiason era. And then we saw a whole bunch of bad yeah. uh, with the Cincinnati Bengals. And to see the Bengals in probably their glory days, these may be their glory days right now in franchise history. And one of the big questions, of course, is Andy Dalton. And he has that stigma of not doing well in primetime games. Uh, but yesterday, in a, uh, Thursday in a primetime game, did very well. Three touchdowns. All to Tyler Eifert, who missed all of last season uh, with an elbow injury almost all of last season. So there are all these questions about Andy Dalton in primetime games, playoff games. Okay. When watching the Cincinnati Bengals, and I want to start off our first down with this. You can see teams that are pretty good, but you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, they're Super Bowl caliber right now when I see them. There may be a few teams right now where you would say, oh, they're good, but I wouldn't put them Super Bowl level. Would you put the Cincinnati Bengals on the eye test alone and given their history of going to the playoffs and coming up short, would you look at the Bengals right now and say, they're ready, Super Bowl contender caliber right now? I want, them, I want them to play New England first. And then I'll that <laughs> okay. okay. I, I mean, that's the only... I mean, what, they're going to play New England, so I, I, I want to see that game first. If they can beat New England, yes, absolutely. So, but no, I mean, minus the New England... Yeah, I mean, I think they're ready. I think the doubts about Andy Dalton, we can just stop doubting. Um, that team has come together this year. And um, the, the, I just... They're, they're really good. And Andy Dalton is doing really, really well. He's really good. And really good. I, I think he's putting those naysayers, you know, he's telling them, just be quiet. Because it's, it, it's, I think that curse that's on him, uh, it's, it's gone. It, you think so already? It's gone. I think it's gone. I mean, they're going to lose. Everybody's going to lose 
at some point, it's minus New England. Minus New England. Not to remind you that. Minus New England. And I don't think they're going to beat New England. Uh, do they play New England? They do not play yeah, New England I thought they played New England. on the schedule because what happens is uh, the Bengals didn't win the division last year. Oh, the Steelers right. won the division. That's why. Yep, so, I but forgot. they do play Denver. Right. In Denver. Now, I, see the the, I think they can beat Denver. I think they can beat Denver. I think their offense is better than Denver. The defense is not better than Denver, but the defense is what has kept Denver in their undefeated status. I yes. don't think that's going to last forever. Okay. So I think Cincinnati is a better team offensively than Denver. Than Denver. Denver has the defensive edge. Yeah, but I, I don't know if it's going to be enough to stop Andy Dalton's offense. Okay. Rank the AFC undefeated teams in your power rankings in order. Uh, Patriots, Broncos, Bengals. Rank them one to three. In your eyes. New England, Cincinnati, Denver. You would put Cincinnati over Denver. Yeah. Right now. Yes. Despite the great defense Denver yeah, has. Because their offense is better. Well, Denver's offense better. is getting better. It's getting better, but Andy Dalton's offense is right now better right than, now. than Denver. And you think that Cincinnati definitely has the ability. We're going to predict that game on near on or near December 28th. But you think that Cincinnati can go on the road and beat a high-caliber team like the Bengals, and they do play the Bengals on uh, December 20th. They also, in two weeks, play the Arizona Cardinals in Arizona. That's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a good game. Yes, and um, but I think they can do it. I do. I do think Andy Dalton needs to just do what he's doing and keep on doing it and shut everybody up. I, I'm rooting for Cincy. I'm rooting for Cincy. I think that they're doing a great job and. Of all the teams out there that should be six, you know eight now, they should be. They should they, be. They've, they've, they've been playing great. I mean, and their defense is good. Don't let's not take away from their defense. Yeah. Their defense is very good. Um, not as good as Denver's, but it's good. And I I think they'll beat Denver. Yeah. Uh, that game with the Arizona Cardinals in a couple of weeks. It originally was scheduled for four twenty-five, but because the Bengals are undefeated right now, and because the Cardinals are in first place in the NFC West at six and two, that game got flexed. Flex. So it's the Sunday night, night game. game. So it's a prime time game for Andy Dalton against a good team, and you know those questions are going to come they, once again. They're gonna, they keep saying it, and that's, it's kind of getting frustrating to me because, like Thursday, is like they said it again on the pregame on Thursday, and I'm but like, there is proof and a history, now. right? There is, but he he hasn't done it this year, so let's just put that back where it was. Okay, put it back there, <laughs> and then we can talk about this again in the playoffs when he does choke, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. So that's why you have people like Deion Sanders and many other yeah. uh, experts saying, you know what, as great as the Bengals are, and as much as I want to come out and say, yes, they can do it, it's the past that's really freaking them out. It is, but let's, you know... It, we all have to let go of our past at some point. <laughs> the, yeah, come on. Very true. Wow, very philosophical. I know, right? We all have to let go of our past. So let's, let's give him a new shot here. Let, let's let his past go for a little bit. See what happens. Speaking of the uh, very recent past, uh, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals, they've made the playoffs the past four years. They're going to make the playoffs uh, this year for a fifth consecutive year. Two other teams that made the playoffs last year and won a combined 22 games uh, last season, not including the playoffs. An 11-win Detroit Lions team in 2014 and an 11-win Indianapolis team in 2014. They are both in trouble, and during the past two weeks in both Detroit and Indianapolis, heads 
have rolled. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Joe Lombardi, the offensive coordinator for the Lions, he was relieved of his duties. Jim Bob Cooter, the former backup quarterback to Peyton Manning at the University of Tennessee, uh, promoted to the offensive coordinator position. And then this past week, just a couple of days ago, uh, the Ford family deciding to cut ties with general manager Martin Mayhew and also team president Tom Lewand. Jim Caldwell still there for now head coach but you would have to believe he's pretty much a dead man walking right he's now done after this season. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah so the last few weeks are more for i guess evaluations um with the indianapolis colts there they expected the super bowl uh yep. this year and everybody else did too they're <laughs> still in first place in their division. I know. It's barely. They're three and five in yeah. that uh, AFC South, and they're 3-0 and against all the other teams in the AFC South. If they don't play an AFC South team, at least so far, they're 0-5. The last game, it depends on do you view it glass half empty or glass half full. Down 24-6 to to Carolina, undefeated Carolina. Come back, tie the game. Force overtime, take the lead in overtime, but Carolina comes back, kicks the field goal, gets an interception, Luke Keekley an interception, sets up the game-winning field goal later in overtime. And the tension with Indianapolis, at least according to a lot of reports, including from the Indianapolis Star, started even before the season began. Because many people think that the Colts' biggest needs going into the season was to shore up the offensive line, which they did not do, but they got high-priced, Free agents looking to get that one championship before their careers are over, including a Frank Gore right. with the San Francisco 49ers, and Andre Johnson uh, from the Houston Texans, a Trent Cole from the Philadelphia Eagles. So you have all these players wanting this one last run for a championship. The Colts supposedly are ready, and things just have not gelled. Andrew Luck has not played well. He's mm-hmm. fighting injuries uh, as well. The Colts are 3-5, and five, and what was really telling was a couple of weeks ago, one of the reporters asked Robert Mathis, the defensive end, what's the biggest problem with this team? And essentially his answer was, well, our biggest problem is we don't know what our biggest problem is on the team. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. There's a lot of problems with this team. I mean, the, Andrew Luck is not playing Andrew Luck football. Before, before you keep going, are you more surprised with Indianapolis? Indianapolis' struggles, and speaking of heads rolling, I should mention Pep Hamilton, the offensive coordinator for Andrew Luck at Stanford, and for Andrew Luck at the Indianapolis Colts, no longer is the offensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. He got relieved of his duties this week, so I definitely wanted to make sure to mention that uh, the slow start has also cost someone uh, his job at Indianapolis as well, so you can go ahead with your point. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, a lot, I think there's too much expected of this team. I mean, we all did. We all thought too much. Too much. I think a little too much. Want a playoff game? Yeah. In the past two years. No, I don't. I, I don't. If you like, you said, um, and I actually did read that article um, about the Colts. Um, yes. The problems. Friction. Friction. All the season. And, and, and you know that they had they had some problems with the offensive line last year. Um, Colt, uh, you know, luck. Got sacked quite a bit. A lot. Few years, not yeah, last yeah, yeah, he gets that sacked a So that, and they didn't address that. And they, you know, did get Frank Gore, who's not having a good year. They did get Andre Johnson, again, not having a year, good year. But the thing is, is Luck had talent last year. He yeah. had, they had the talent last year. I mean, it was good to bring in Gore and all that, but they really did need to focus on that offensive line. It's even worse this year. And 
Luck is fighting injuries because he's getting sacked all the time. He's getting injured. So you can't expect, you can't put this all on Andrew Luck because he doesn't have anybody to protect him. Um, there obviously is some tension with the coach and management. And, it, it just, and it's all trickling down downhill, and it's, it's affecting the whole team. Um, I can't say that I'm super surprised by it. Um, the mighty will fall. And there were cracks last year. I mean, yes, they went to the playoffs, but you could see the cracks. And now the, it's, the dam has just broken. Yeah. <laughs> but even with the dam being broken, it can still be saved. Oh, yes, it can. Especially Absolutely. since they're still in first place. You just go back to last year. Yeah. Carolina was, what, three? Oh, I know. It won <laughs> one of the last four games, won the division under 500, yeah. won a playoff game. And after... That's a team that surprised me this year. Oh, by the way, after all of that, they come into this season they haven't lost yet. I know. I mean, we're not going to talk about I know, 2016 but, yeah, I know, now, but... They just look at Carolina. has kind of surprised me this year. But, it, it, and, um, but yeah, I mean, it can be fixed. I don't think it's going to get fixed this year, though. Because he's fighting... Luck is just not... But he's hurt. He's playing hurt. Okay. Uh, this might be a little bit premature to ask, even though half the season's over. Do they win the division? Yeah, I think they might. Yeah. <laughs> it's their division. The other choices are Houston, Tennessee, and Jacksonville. No, yeah, yeah, they're going to win the division. Although, but, although Houston's 3-5-2. They're coming. They're 3-5, and five, yeah. tied for first. Jacksonville is 2-5, and five, but that means they're tied in the loss column. They're only half game back right. of... Uh, no, I, I mean, I think... Indy's going to win a few more games. Um, they have to finish games. I mean, they, they, and they have to quit having to make comebacks. Like they, you know, Absolutely. They, they have to stop doing that. So. Absolutely. And I believe, uh, if uh, my research is correct, Indianapolis is the worst team in the National Football League in terms of turnover margin. margin. Uh, yeah. Andrew Luck's done way too many picks. Um, Frank Gore, going back to week two, he had that fumble at the goal line against the Jets. I know. Uh, they've had just untimely interceptions, including... There's in no the jelly. Game. There's no jelly no. with that offense at all. No. And they may still be in the playoffs and host the playoff game uh, before all is said and done. Going to Detroit, uh, they also won 11 games last year. Unlike the Colts, who won two playoff games, the Lions did not win a playoff game last year, but they had that pass interference in which the flag was picked up, Uh, uh, and the Lions could have very easily won uh, won that that playoff game game, uh, in Dallas. Uh, With everybody else around Jim Caldwell uh, getting the axe, uh, it's hard to imagine and fathom that Jim Caldwell will last any longer uh, than the uh, very end of the season. He's only in his second year, and I believe, and his his first year, he won 11 games. Uh, I don't think Jim Caldwell, ever since he was in Indianapolis, really got a fair shake. Um, I don't know how you can clean house less than a year after your team goes 11-5, and makes the playoffs, almost wins a playoff game. That's his first year. Right. 11-5. Yeah. Second year, things have just not gone right. Matthew Stafford has regressed. He has. Matthew Stafford has he regressed. Really, he really has. Um, he's still owed about $32, 33000000 million in the next two years, but the Lions can cut him mm-hmm. um, at the end of this year. They wouldn't have to pay him, but a lot of that money... Uh, will count against the Lions on the cap if they get money. Uh, But they can uh, let go of Matthew Stafford without owing him money, but his money will count um, against the cap uh, next year. So he's in his late 20s. I believe he's 29. Um, But as I was saying, I don't think Jim Caldwell has ever gotten a fair shake. First of all, he had to 
follow Tony Dungy at Indianapolis. That was tough. Uh, but he led them to a Super Bowl the year that the Colts started off, I believe, 13-0, That was Jim Caldwell yeah. that coached the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Uh, lost to the Jets, but then they came back, beat the Jets in the AFC title game, got to the Super Bowl, lost to uh, the New Orleans Saints. Um, but then there was that year, his last year, when Peyton Manning had all his neck surgeries, what were the Colts going to do? They, they were going to be anything. terrible. They, and, they <laughs> and they were. He gets the axe. Pagano comes in. Oh, by the way, uh, Andrew Luck is available in the NFL draft. Okay? So all of a sudden, the Colts become good immediately. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I thought Jim Caldwell just never didn't get a good shake there. I agree with really you good. on that. And then now, first year, and I know a few friends from Detroit. And the second Jim Caldwell was hired, and Jim Caldwell is a calm cerebral guy. He's not a rah-rah guy. He's not a guy that I guess you're inspired by when you see him um, on the days uh, talking at a press conference. Uh, And I know a lot of people in Detroit were unenthused by that hire, but then they win 11 games. So now, this year is what Lions fans expected last year with Jim Caldwell's first year. I think you, I think personally you have to give Jim Caldwell more time instead of for all intents and purposes, a year and five, six games. He may coach the end of this year, but to be honest, all the signs are there. He's gone. So you have Matt Stafford regressing. You have Jim Caldwell in his second year after an 11-win season gone. The defense, which was great last year, lost in Dominican Sue, lost Nick Fairley, not very good this year as well. Do you think the Lions, given their history, they haven't had too many 11-win seasons recently, um, do you think the Lions should clean house as they're doing right now? No, I, I don't. I, I, I think I agree with you on Caldwell. I think they need to give him another shot. I don't think they're going to, yeah, but sure. unfortunately, but I think they do need to give him a chance. Um, you know, bad playing on Stafford's part also comes back to coaching. So, you yeah. know, on that, on that side, playing devil's advocate, you know, absolutely. It, it comes back to coaching. So, um, but they did lose some key players on defense. Stafford needs a new quarterback coach, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe clean Madhouse. Okay, but, how about this? Do the Lions move on from Matt Stafford? I, I don't think they're going to cut him. I think because he has the potential. He is a good quarterback. He's not having a good year, but he is a good quarterback. Kind of like Andrew Luck this year. They're just not playing well, and it happens, but... I don't think they're going to cut him. I, yeah, I, I mean, don't. There are reports, or at least a couple of people reported yeah. that there is a very, very good chance. Well, well there is chance. a good chance, but then y- they, they got to deal with the, the, you know, the salary cap and the money and exactly. all of that. So that's going to that's gonna be a business decision. Well, I guess if you're uh, an ownership that is cleaning house, you may not worry about that as much. That's true. You want to eat the money just to make sure that... Uh, yeah, but who are they going to get to replace them? And quarterbacks are, are, are not a dime a dozen true. in the NFL right now. They're just not. And there's not... And, that many great ones out there yeah, are. Now, now so, this is um, projected to be a fairly good quarterback class out of college. Yes, it is. Uh, with uh, California's Jared Goff uh, being one of the quarterbacks being touted as probably yeah. a top five, six selection in the NFL draft. And the Lions... Well, if Detroit keeps playing like this, they will <laughs> get it. Exactly. They'll, 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 they'll be, be able there. to get them. <laughs> they'll be there. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, the Lions only with one a uh, couple of wins this season. So uh, it's more than possible that Detroit 
uh, gets that top pick uh, in the uh, NFL draft. So this is a fairly good uh, draft class for quarterbacks. Uh, but, yeah, the Detroit Lions just have not played well. They're, they still have Calvin Johnson. Uh, only one win on the season. I said a couple of wins. Only no, one yeah, win. as I said, they only won. Yeah, that win was in overtime against the Bears. So you still have Calvin Johnson. You still have a Golden Tate. It's pretty much the same offense as mm-hmm. last year. Theo Riddick, Joyke Bell. Uh, again, the passing offense, very good. Well, part of it is because they're behind and they have to continue to pass, pass, pass. Right. pass. Uh, but the running game's never really been that good. No. Um, and that's just so much pressure on a quarterback. Right. And your running back is just not good. Even if you run a system in which you do throw the ball 40, 42, 45. Right. You still need times. a running back. And they don't have one. Yeah, they, so. they don't have one. And it's been a, it's been very tough on the Detroit Lions. So the Lions, more than likely, will clean that. Will clean the house and have started uh, the house cleaning. Uh, you can smell the Lysol from Detroit. I'll, I'll take Caldwell at the Bills. <laughs> okay. By the way. Fair enough. Well, I'll take him. Uh, not necessarily a ringing endorsement uh, for Mr. <laughs> Rex Ryan. We will talk about Rex Ryan and the Buffalo Bills on third down, but this has been first down. And uh, coming up on second down, more talk about the Cincinnati Bengals again undefeated 8-0 and on the year, and we talk with a person who has been tied with the Cincinnati Bengals for pretty much 40 years. Dave Lapham, former offensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals in the late in the 70s and early 80s, and now the color commentator for the Cincinnati Bengals on the Cincinnati Bengals radio network joining us on a lot of sports talk and our show Down in Distance on Second Down. My apologies, Holly, once again, it's a total coincidence, but Dave Lapham also a Syracuse University graduate. Just, yes. Again, just total coincidence. We, total have, coincidence. we have Justin yeah. Pugh on the show, Syracuse, yeah. Dave Lapham, Syracuse, yeah, just, but No, again, absolutely total coincidence. (laughs) So Dave Lapham talking about the Cincinnati Bengals on second down, and we will see you, and we will see you on the third down segment where we will review some of the important games in week nine. Once again, this is Down and Distance on a lot of sports talk. Going into last Sunday's game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, the 6-0 Cincinnati Bengals had never started 7-0 at any point in franchise history. After two wins in a span of five days, the Cincinnati Bengals are now 8-0. They are halfway to perfection. These are definitely halcyon days for the Cincinnati Bengals franchise looking to make the playoffs for the fifth year running. And joining us right now on second down on down and distance, we are joined by a person who has been a part of great Cincinnati teams, whether on the field or in the broadcast booth. Color commentator Dave Lapham joins us to talk all things Cincinnati Bengals. First of all, Dave, thank you so very much for joining us. And after last night's win against the uh, Cleveland Browns, no matter whether how good the Cleveland Browns are or whether they're in the transition period, it's always fun to beat your Buckeye State rival, right? Well, there's no question about it, RSU. I mean, that, that's still a rivalry, and it's a division uh, opponent. So, when you, uh, being a division opponent, it's almost like uh, a win and a half uh, because you have that head-to-head deal. And uh, with that eight-no record at the mid-season uh, point, they're they three-no in the division. Uh, two of those division wins have come on the road and come from behind fashion in the fourth quarter against the Baltimore Ravens, where they had to come behind twice. And against the Pittsburgh Steelers, where they trailed for the entire game, 
right up until the last uh, less than three minutes in the football game when we scored to take a lead. Uh, I was just about to ask you, you mentioned that these division wins are like a win and a half. The way that they won both the Ravens game and the Steelers game last week must have counted almost like two or two and a half because they are four games clear of the division right now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they're, they're sitting very pretty. There's no question about it. But this football team is as focused as I've seen in quite a while. They're very mature. Um, they've, they've been together for four years into the fifth year with the Andy Dalton, A.J. Green era, and the others that were drafted uh, maybe a year later or a year before getting into what I term the prime of their pro careers, uh, year three to year seven. And they're hitting at that, uh, that peak uh, portion of their of their professional career together, but the maturation process has been very interesting to watch. And, you know, it's very cliche and trite, but the NFL is 16 one-game seasons, and you do have to take it one week at a time. And this group has focused on that dynamic about as well as I've seen in a very long time. Uh, Andy Dalton, one of those players, as you mentioned during this era, Andy Dalton, A.J. Green, that has shown a lot of maturity, shown a lot of poise, another three-touchdown game on Thursday night against the Cleveland Browns, already his fourth three-touchdown passing game of the season. Um, If there's one attribute that you can point out to Andy Dalton that what in what makes him a very good to, you would say, some people would say great quarterback right now. Can you even point out some attribute or quality that really makes Andy Dalton stand out right now? I, I think it's work ethic. And, um, you know, there's no shortcut. And, and Tom Brady, Peyton Manning are legendary. And if they're the first guys in the building, the last to leave, and how much like time they put into uh, preparation, uh, and everybody else then, of course, that, that raises the entire battle. Everybody else says, boy, look what those guys are doing. Am I doing enough? That's what Andy Dalton's turned into. You know, he's definitely a gym dad. He's there all the time. He's attached to the Hugh Jackson. He understands every nuance of Hugh Jackson's offense. He can complete Hugh Jackson's sentences right now when the plays are being called. So, and he gives him uh, a ton of latitude. He allows him to utilize the whole playbook. Every snap he goes to my scrimmage. Uh, to find the best fit for what the defense is uh, presenting to him. So he understands uh, everything about his offense. He understands what defenses are trying to do to stop it. He has the total uh, trust uh, of his teammates, the confidence of his teammates. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got a very, very high football IQ, tremendous football acumen. And uh, Hugh Jackson puts a lot on him in terms of he's running every personnel group and formation man-to-man. And then Dalton has to sort it all out and get them all on the same page, and he's doing that at a very, very high level. Uh, once again, Dave Lapham joining us, radio color commentator for the Cincinnati Bengals. And uh, the saying goes that correlation doesn't necessarily mean causality. But with the Bengals' offense being so dynamic right now and looking at the Bengals' offense and seeing a guy like Tyler Eifert who missed pretty much all of last season with his elbow injury, him coming back, being the second-leading receiver in terms of catches, what does Tyler Eifert do to, for this Cincinnati Bengals' offense? He's a Swiss Army knife, and he just has uh, many of those, those type of players Tyler Eifert, it, it, to me, it's almost a misnomer to name some of these guys tight ends. Because Tyler Eifert runs routes as good as any wide receiver in the NFL, and he's 6'6, 250 pounds. I mean, he sinks his hips, gets in and out of cuts, and gets separation as well as any of them. He was a scholarship basketball player coming out of high school, so he uses his body very well. 
shield defenders from the football. He's got long arms, a big catching radius, tremendously soft hands. He can jump from his basketball days. I mean, he is a he is a match nightmare. He's too big and strong for corners and safeties, and too fast for linebackers. And they line him up as a split end. They line him up as a flanker. They line him up in the slot. At the end of the line of scrimmage at tight end, they'll detach him from the tight end position. Line him up full back in motion someplace else. I mean, instead of Wills Waldo, it's Wills Eifert. And he's doing a great job of controlling uh, not only the middle of the football field, but all areas of the football field. And you, know, you have A.J. Green and all the other receivers, uh, the weapons that they've got. It, it's almost like, you know, too many people to cover. You can't double team everybody. And Tyler uh, Eifert is a big, big factor in that. Uh, and A.J. Green is just one of the most uh, special talents that maybe any of us have ever seen at the wide receiver position, although it's now a position that you see so many uh, great athletes that happen to uh, play wide receiver. A.J. Green just... Uh, does something almost every single game that makes you say, wow. Uh, speak to A.J. Green's worth ethic and what he does to prepare himself to be such a dynamic receiver in this offense. Well, it's, it's almost like Andy Dalton. He's the hardest worker in the receiver room. And then the best player is your hardest worker and humble and, um, you know, will do all the blue-collar things necessary to make his teammates better. That, uh, that's just a, a, a heck of a role model and that's what A.J. Green is to not only the receiver room, but the entire football team. Uh, he's a perennial pro bowler, and guys see him out there early uh, before practice working on things and staying after practice to get his timing and him down with quarterbacks. And again, they say, boy, am I doing enough? Look what A.J. is doing. He's in the pro bowl every year. Am I doing enough to make this football team better? So, again, you're right. I mean, not only in games, but uh, in practice and the training camp. Every single day, he'll do something that is just unbelievably acrobatic and make these ridiculous catches. And it's like, this is not the only guy in the world I think can do this on such a consistent basis. And he's, uh, he's another one that he could have been playing in the NBA. He was the best basketball player in South Carolina coming out of high school. And a lot of these guys were deciding to play wide receiver and tight end uh, in the NFL instead of you know, furthering their basketball career. So he has some unbelievably gifted athletes. Uh, Dave Lapham once again joining us and for the past few years watching the Cincinnati Bengals defense we knew that they could get to the passer and we also knew that for the past few years they had one of the best if not the best secondary unit uh, in the National Football League when you throw in guys like Reggie Nelson uh, at safety but this Cincinnati defense again they're fourth in scoring defense one of the best defensive teams in uh, the National Football League I'm sure Marvin Lewis has a big part uh, in making that defense the way it is, given his uh, defensive background. But watching the defense day in, day out, week in and week out, what makes these, this defense special and what has made this defense special in the past four or five years? Well, I think it starts up front. Um, particularly this year, they've got a 10-man uh, defensive line that has all kinds of ability and depth. And they only activate seven of them on game day. They'll be activating three guys that could start to learn a lot of other teams in the NFL. So the depth of that, that, that roster position is just incredible. And uh, Gino Atkins is back healthy. Last year, he was still fighting uh, through recovery from a, a torn ACL. He didn't trust his knee. And uh, he was kind of crow hopping off that knee instead of uh, making the violent cuts and putting all kinds of laser pressure on it. And now he's back and he's collapsing the interior of the pocket and the quarterback's can't climb the pocket. 
And with his interior pass rush, he's now generated six quarterback sacks in the first eight games, and they're tracking for a 12-sack season, which would put him in the Pro Bowl. And, and uh, as a result of that um, interior pressure, Carlos Dunlap has eight and a half sacks at the midway point, which is tracking for 17 in the Pro Bowl potentially. So those two guys are feeding off each other in, in both the uh, pass games and the run game. They're penetrating, knocking uh, people backwards in the running game, tackles for losses. I mean, when they when they stuff the run uh, like like they're doing and, and refreshing the quarterback like they're doing, it makes life a lot easier for everybody on the back end. And you're right, they do have four former first round draft picks at the cornerback position. How many teams in the NFL? If any others can say that, and Reggie Nelson, another former first rounder at the safety position. So they're very well uh, stocked in the front end and the back end. And uh, with Montez Buffett now back at the linebacker position. That raises the level of uh, that, that position group's play immensely as well, being a former pro bowler himself. Uh, once again, Dave Lapham joining us. Marvin Lewis has been the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals since 2003. And through the first part of that tenure, he really had to survive through it. He did have Carson Palmer, did have uh, that playoff appearance where they lost against the Steelers. Uh, but now he's gone from survival mode to thriving. What has really allowed Marvin Lewis to be a person who has the second longest tenure as a head coach in the National Football League. You don't see tenures like this in the National Football League as head coaches. Why has Marvin Lewis survived and then thrived in the National Football League as a head coach? I think it's the uh, patience of Mike Brown and the Bengals organization, and um, that's reflected even in the division. I'll expand it to the AFC North. In Pittsburgh, they've had three head coaches since the Vietnam War in 1969. They've had Chuck Miller, they've had Bill Cowher, and now they've had Mike Tomlin, and that is it. So they believe in continuity and consistency. Baltimore Ravens the same way. Ozzie Newsom has been a general manager there forever. Um, you know, they, they, they stay with head coaches for a long period of time. John Harbaugh has been there for a while now. So, you know, these coaches are allowed to build their culture and, uh, you know, draft and develop players and, and, uh, and, and, and patiently await, uh, you know, the, the, the rewards to reap that harvest. And, and that's what Mike, Mike Brown has allowed Marvin Lewis to do. And they've stacked about six or seven consecutive drafts together. Uh, 44 of their 53-man roster has been either drafted or signed as a college free agent by the Bengals organization. And they've uh, then developed them. And, and they've given guys a second by the apple. If you play well for the Bengals, you get that second contract. Um, you know, Carlos Dunlop, Gino Adkins, uh, Andy Dalton, A.J. Green. A lot of these guys are good examples of it. And when they do sign the deals, it's a square deal. The Bengals don't backload deals and then, and then cut guys that will never see that money and have dead money on their books. Uh, when you sign a deal in Cincinnati, it's a deal that's good for both sides of things. So I think there's a lot of reasons culturally why, why Marvin Lewis has been able to thrive and, and, and now they've made the playoffs four years in a row, five of the last six. It looks like it's going to be five in a row, six out of the last seven. They've got a nice culture built here in Cincinnati. Dave Lapham joining us, and coaches are perfectionists. And even though the Cincinnati Bengals are perfect, I'm sure Marvin Lewis and his coaching staff are going to concentrate on a few things uh, in terms of having this team continue to improve despite its perfection. What do you see in terms of watching the Bengals that they may need to work on on the second half of the season to, to, to continue to be as sharp as they have been in the first part of the season? Well, I, I do think that there's still meat on the bone. You know, um, they're still, they still have not played their best game uh, by far. 
that they played very good complimentary football at, at stages of every game that has allowed them to win football games. But, you know, the, the come from behind victory they had against Seattle at home in Cincinnati at Paul Brown Stadium was very improbable, down by 17 with less than 14 minutes to play to a team of that caliber. Um, you know, it, it, it's happened 279 times in uh, or 479 times, I should say, and the record's one win, 478 losses. And we won the team down 17 points more in the fourth quarter, like you had the Bengals the only team that has done it. So that, that was highly improbable. And again, we talked about the, as the wins in Baltimore and Pittsburgh on the road, division rivals to get it done. They, they could easily be 5 and 3 instead of 8 more. So they know that uh, they're far from perfect. They still do have a lot of things to work on. Uh, the running game, stopping the run, the Bengals uh, run into the game against the Cleveland Browns, allowing five yards per rush. And that's, uh, you know, the second worst in the National Football League. They've been gashed for big runs, 69-yard touchdown run by Seattle, 55-yard run by Pittsburgh. You know, you're going to have to be more sound in their gap integrity on a consistent basis in the running game. And, and that, that's, that's one area. Um, you know, I do think they could improve the consistency in their own running game. They're all throwing the football down the field. They have as good a vertical passing game as, as there is in the NFL these days. And uh, you know, other than maybe improving in the, in the running games a little bit, uh, everything else is, is looking pretty good. The, uh, special teams-wise, they played very, very well in terms of determining field position. But in the last two weeks, they've had a field goal block and a punt block. Pittsburgh blocked a field goal, Cleveland blocked a punt. So you've got to shore things up there in a, in a close football game to play like that determine the outcome. So, still plenty of things to work on in all three phases. Dave Lapham again joining us, and you've been a member of a Cincinnati team that went to the Super Bowl. You've been uh, behind the microphone for another Cincinnati team uh, that went to the Super Bowl. Now you're watching these Cincinnati's, Cincinnati Bengals um, in the 21st century. Uh, is this the best of the Cincinnati Bengals have ever been so far. You've had the Boomer Esiason hurry-up offense. You had your Forest Greg teams with a great quarterback in uh, Ken Anderson. When you look at this Bengals team, at least the past few years, are you even allowing yourself to say, wow, this might be the best the Bengals have ever been? Well, it's, it's a close, and there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of reasons why. You know, you mentioned the two quarterbacks. Ben Anderson uh, in 81-82 and went to the Super Bowl as MVP of the league. Boomer Siasen, 88-89, MVP of the league. Tom Brady's uh, got, a, got a big lead, I think, MVP of the league, but Andy Dalton's certainly in the conversation. Yes. So you have a quarterback that's playing at an extremely high level, and there are all kinds of weapons that you can attack every quadrant in the field for those quarterbacks. We had it in 81 with Chris Collinsworth and Isaac Curtis and Danny Ross, and you know, all those guys were pro bowlers. And in 88, we had Eddie Brown and uh, and Tim McGee and Rodney Holman, and, you know, you had so many weapons to throw the football to. You had James Brooks out of the backfield, and Nicky Wiggle out of the backfield. We had Pete Johnson, you know, in 81. So, and they did get a, a dynamic duo in the backfield uh, with Giovanni Bernard and Jeremy Hill. So, offensively, there's, there's solid offensive lines, you know, there's, there's, it starts there. Both the Super Bowl teams had very, very good guys up front as a unit, and they got one going on here. And, and then defensively, similar. Maybe not. You know, top three defense, totally dominant in all areas, but opportunistic. Taking the football away, uh, winning the sack ratio, you know, generating many more sacks than are being allowed, uh, you know, determining field position with, with respect to that decent on third down. A lot of similarities between this football team and what was accomplished in, uh, in 81 and 88. And um, but this football team, 
winning eight games, starting eight and all, may have been done in franchise history. And you had to tip your cap to them. Maybe they may be the best. Uh, one last question for you, Dave Lapham. Um, are there still any lingering effects from the Freezer Bowl, the AFC title game in 1982 with the Bengals and the Chargers, in, and that being the coldest game on record um, in NFL history? I can only imagine what it was, or can't imagine, what it was to play in that game in those conditions. I tell you what, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I ran around course. Over three hours and never broke a sweat. You know, it's one of those one of those days where a hot hot shower at the American the far out. And and I, I can say being from New England originally, you know, I'd, I'd go out in a t-shirt as a young kid and play football in the snow and get used to you know those cold temperatures. I felt like I could handle cold weather pretty well. But we, you know decided to go out sleeveless for that game and it was very very cold. Obviously, 59 below wind chill. And I can honestly say that my thermostat was low, and I don't handle the uh, cold weather as well. It might be because of chronological age. I mean, I'm up there now a little bit chronologically, but uh, there's no way, even a few years back, there's no way that I handled cold weather as, as, uh, as well as I had prior to that feasible. That feasible definitely lowered my internal thermostat a few degrees. <laughs> you played sleeveless in that game. Yeah, we did. We came out sleeveless, yeah. Was, was that a maybe intimidating factor to the West Coast Chargers, or you just decided, no, I'm fine. I'll play sleeveless. Well, it, it was a combination. Uh, they, they were grabbers uh, as pass rushers. They try to, you know, grab cloth and pull and try to pull you out of your shoes. And we thought, you know what, we're not going to have extraneous cloth there. I don't want to put a sweatshirt on or something like that. It would be easier for them to grab and, and try to pull me off balance. And I was the one that had the, the biggest say in it because I had Gary Big Hands Johnson, who was the best at it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ah, I'm a new guy, I can handle this. Well, our center was from uh, the state of Washington, our one tackle was from Georgia, and our other guard, and uh, we had a tackle from California. So those guys weren't as used to cold weather as me, but, hey, you know, there's cold and then there's 59 below. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Honestly, they let us put Vaseline on exposed skin on the face, and then we had exposed skin on us, so we could put Vaseline on our arms. So not only could he not grab, he could he was sliding off that thing as he's trying to grab my arm. So... It turned out to work pretty well, plus there was a psychological advantage. We broke the whole thing the line of scrimmage. They had stocking masks pulled over their faces with holes cut out for their eyes and mouth. And, you know, and they had hand warmers and sweatshirts on. They looked at us like we were mentally ill. I do think that uh, there was a little bit of a psychological advantage as well. Oh, the dark arts of the National Football League and in the trenches uh, for sure. Dave Lapham, one of the all-time Cincinnati Bengals, now the radio color commentator and has been for three decades for Cincinnati Bengals broadcast on radio. Dave, thank you so very much for joining us. I enjoyed the conversation and it had nothing to do with the both of us going to Syracuse. Uh, But we do (laughs) thank you so very much for joining us. Um, Have fun covering the Cincinnati Bengals in the 2015 season and going forward. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Arashina. I had a great time. It was very enjoyable. And we're back with you on Down and Distance here on a lot of sports talk, getting ready for third down. Once again, we join Dave Lapham so very much uh, for joining us. And the last part um, of that conversation, as you heard, he played in that 1981 AFC Championship game taking place in January of 1982, the game known as the Freezer Bowl, the coldest game on record in NFL history, wind chill at minus 
59 degrees. And he, uh, you heard, and his offensive lineman sleeveless to psych out the San Diego Chargers, the West Coast San Diego Chargers playing in minus 59 degree weather. Holly, is there any instance where you would go out where the wind chill is minus no. 59. No. <laughs> you spent time in I know. Western New York. New York. Yeah, no. I mean, there were Bills games I would not go to because of those wind chills. Uh, even with tickets. No. Not, not doing it. No. Okay, no minus 59 no. degrees. Okay, fair enough. Um, I guess uh, uh, you're smart. Um, I wouldn't do it either. No. You, you wouldn't do it if there was a Super Bowl on the line. Maybe I went first. Okay. Uh, yes. right, if you want to stand out, but are we in sleeveless though? Sleeveless outside, and someone told you yeah. if you stayed outside sleeveless for three and a half hours, your team will go to the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, I'd do it. Because <laughs> the Bills need all the help they can get. Fair enough. Yeah, so. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. So let's uh, start our third down segment. It is a third down in seven, seven games in week nine that we will preview and then make predictions on our first game deals with one of the four undefeated teams in the national football league the carolina panthers staying undefeated after their dramatic victory in overtime last monday night against the indianapolis colts they take on the previously unbeaten green bay packers who on sunday night lost lost convincingly 29 to 10 against the denver broncos on sunday night I was football really shocked by that yeah probably quieting a lot of doubters mm-hmm. uh, that the denver broncos were starting to accumulate and the packers six and one and the packers are going to be in very rare company as well as the indianapolis colts in that before Sunday, only two teams in NFL history had played teams 6-0 or better in back-to-back weeks. The Packers lost to the Broncos, and now they're taking on the 7-0 Carolina Panthers. And the Indianapolis Colts also will be taking on teams in back-to-back weeks, 6-0 or better, losing to Carolina on Monday Night Football, and then we'll talk about their Sunday opponent in a few minutes. The other two teams that did that, the 1934 Detroit Lions faced the 11-0 Bears, and then the week after faced the 12-0 Chicago Bears, met them in back-to-back games, lost both games. The other team, the 2004 Pittsburgh Steelers, faced the 6-0 New England Patriots, and then the next game played the 7-0 Philadelphia Eagles. The Steelers won both games. So the Green Bay Packers lost the game against the Denver Broncos. 6-1 and one Green Bay going on the road to Charlotte, North Carolina to take on the 7-0 and Carolina Panthers and the number one rushing offense in the National Football League, spearheaded by Cam Newton and Jonathan Stewart. We all know what Aaron Rodgers can do in the passing game. Carolina, great defense. Green Bay, great offense. This should be a great contrast in styles. The immovable object okay just these the force and the object the unstoppable force immovable object i knew i was going to get that out correctly okay so these forces unite and butt heads on sunday in charlotte what do you see happening sunday one o'clock green bay against the carolina panthers green bay wins you think green bay goes on the road and beats carolina yep i think they bounce back so it's not they got their butts handed to them last week, which is very uncharacteristic of Green Bay. I was really surprised by that game. I actually thought they were going to win that game, um, and they did not look good last week. Um, 
I don't see that happening two weeks in a row. It very rarely happens two weeks in a row with Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers doesn't play bad two weeks in a row. Very rarely does he play bad two weeks in a row. Um, so I, I see um, Green Bay giving Carolina their first loss. Although at the same time, Aaron Rodgers usually doesn't play two of the best defenses in the National Football League in back-to-back -back weeks. And, and he's that's up a really good defense. He guy. is, but a very good defense in Carolina. Not as good as... Denver. Denver. Why that wouldn't come out, I don't know. Not as good as Denver, but I, I... Yeah, Green Bay wins. I think, that, you know, Carolina is doing great this year. They they very much, like I said earlier, they, they're impressing me this year. I, I've been kind of blown away how well they're playing football this year. Um, but I, I just don't see Aaron and the pack losing two in a row. Two in a row. Nope. Okay. Well, first of all, I have to really apologize to the NFC South, which I did in the last show, <laughs> okay, when I talked about the Falcons and yep, the Panthers being undefeated, yeah. um, and, you know, the Falcons have taken a step back, but yeah. the Carolina Panthers, 7-0, and oh, and boy, they just got it. Whatever it is, they got it. They have it. They do. Number one rush game, Cam Newton's making the plays he needs to make, okay, with the lack of real talent on the outside. Uh, you saw the end of the Monday Night Football game. Carolina could have won the game with a touchdown. Ted Ginn Jr., wide open, streaking down the field, just flat out drops the ball. I, know. Uh, I was like, well, how, how do you do that? I, I, I looked at the phone like, how do you do that? I could have gotten that ball. I the game. Uh, but Carolina did bounce back, and I think that's part of the reason why I'm going to pick the home team. Mm. They have it, and they have a really, really good defense. Josh Norman at cornerback is turning into maybe the best cornerback in uh, the National Football League. Luke Keekley's making plays all over the field. They can get to the quarterback as well. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to have a clean pocket all day, which if he does, no. I'll pick Green Bay in He's a heartbeat. He's not going to have a clean pocket, but I still pocket. think I think... I still think they're going to pull yeah, it out. I, 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 you it's going to be a good game. Yeah, it's going to be a good game. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do think Carolina just has it. They will lose, uh, well, I shouldn't say obviously, because there has been undefeated teams in National Football League history, regular season, and uh, through the playoffs as well. Uh, but I do think Carolina just has that je ne sais quoi right now. And I think um, they're, looking exci they're, they're excited for this game because I'm sure they're going to be, they're still doubters of the Carolina Panthers. And going up against the yeah, Packers, that's gonna it's gonna be a, a game. If they do win, they can silence those those yeah, doubters even more. Even okay. more, yeah. even more. Uh, so we split on that Green Bay and Carolina, two teams that are not undefeated. Um, and I think you can tell what team we're going to talk about with uh, Holly's uh, <laughs> murmur just now. Uh, the three and four Miami Dolphins going into. Orchard Park and taking on the three and four Buffalo Bills. Tyrod Taylor has a knee injury. He's probable uh, to play, but the Bills are dealing with a whole lot of injuries and uh, dealing with the, uh, I shouldn't say embarrassing loss, but the game in London against the Jacksonville Jaguars, which I'm sure you streamed on Yahoo. I did. Okay. <laughs> All right. Get down big, come back, take the lead, and then Jacksonville coming back and uh, pulling out the victory. The Bills coming off a bye after a game uh, in London. The Miami Dolphins carried that momentum from the hiring of Dan Campbell, had a couple of wins, although they faced two really bad teams. Uh, and then they met the New England Patriots on Thursday night, and uh, what happened was what we 
all expected to happen <laughs> winning the game against Miami. But the Dolphins three and four, the Bills three and four, and the winner of this game is five hundred four and four. Losing the game three and five halfway through the year have work to do. And I was not sure of whether I should put this game on the list of games to review two teams under five hundred. But then looking at the AFC standings. Outside of the three teams that are undefeated, Cincinnati, New England, Denver, every single other team in the AFC has at least three losses. Mm-hmm. The Bills and the Dolphins both have four. So the winner of this game is going to be, at the very least, still only one game back of a possible wild card spot. The losers three and five, and they have work to do. So even with two teams that are under 500, the winner of this game still at least one game back of a playoff spot. Both teams are not going to win the division. The Patriots are. So very important game. Bills won the first game in Miami, a chance to sweep the Miami Dolphins and have that over them if in the event a tiebreaker scenario were to come into play. So the three and four Dolphins, who have a great history of going into Buffalo and winning, as you know, against the Bills, who have a pretty good history of going into Miami and winning, and they did that already. So does the trend continue and the Dolphins go into Orchard Park and win against the Bills? If Tyrod Taylor plays, they don't win. If the failure E.J. Manuel plays, Bills, Bills lose. So that, that's, how, that's how bad I'm thinking that. <laughs> okay, so I'm just so, going to put a big question mark. Question mark. Okay, so instead of my M-I-A or B-U-F, I'm just going to put T-T for Tyrod Taylor. Taylor. Okay. If Taylor plays, then we'll win because um, he wins our games. Um, we're beat up. The Bills are beat up, and... Um, there's all sorts of issues going on with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. So um, we have really bad coaching. <laughs> Already really bad coaching. Really no. bad coaching. <laughs> a few um, weeks ago, I was, had a pretty good start. And, and I still was not on board with Rex Ryan three or four weeks ago. And I'm really not on board with Rex Ryan anymore. And I want Jim Schwartz back um, as our defensive coordinator. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, if, t- if T-Mobile plays, we win. That's all I can say to that. Uh, otherwise, no, we probably won't win. Well, since you need to make a prediction, uh, at the very least... Right. Uh, uh, hold on, hold on. I'll ask you, do you think Tyrod Taylor will play? No, I think they're going to keep him for the Jets. They're going to keep him out one more, because we're playing the Jets on Thursday, so I think they'll keep him out, and they're going to put EJ in, and because uh, that is how Rex Ryan works. So does that mean... I'm going I, I, to go against Buffalo this week. Uber fan... Yep, going against them. Holly Corbettson. I'm picking Miami. He's picking Miami. I am. Against her bills. Yep. I almost don't want to write this. I know. Okay. I, I really don't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that almost makes me want to pick Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll stick with my original pick, which is the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> okay. Um, I do think that um, the momentum that Dan Campbell built up after his hiring of a couple of wins does continue, even though it got stunted against the New England Patriots uh, that, last Thursday night. Everybody, they, course, they knew they were, everybody knew they were going to lose that game. Everybody. Yeah, exactly. You're just going to lose exactly. when you play New England. The past few games, we mentioned when we talked about uh, what's going on with the Dolphins. And one of the things that I mentioned was they're not running the ball. And in the past few weeks... They've been running the ball. The Dolphins have run the ball. And Lamar Miller has done very well. And given 
And one of the issues that uh, the Buffalo Bills are having, as you said, they've had many issues, are the defensive players complaining that the scheme that they're playing in isn't really conducive to their skill and their talent and what they should be doing on the field. Agreed, and they've been very vocal about it, and um, that's causing some chaos, I'm sure, in the locker room. But they're right. I mean, we went from the fourth-ranked defense in the NFL to we're at the bottom of the barrel now, and it's... It's it's sad because we have such amazing players on on our defense, talented, wonderful players, yeah. and they're not being used. And it's really surprising considering Rex Ryan's history um, as a, a defensive coach, and he's not a defensive coach. I don't know what kind of coach he is, but he's <laughs> oh, definitely not that. Oh, the hu- so, so I was going to say the honeymoon moon is over between you and Rex Ryan, but apparently the honeymoon never began. Oh, I'm still upset that they hired him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like Rex Ryan. I never have liked Rex liked Rex Ryan, and I didn't think oh, he'd do well in the Bills, and he's proven me right. Now let's put it this way. What if the Bills win on Sunday and then win on Thursday against the New York Jets? <laughs> I still don't. I still no. I still don't like Rex Ryan. I mean, they have a good chance. I mean, the Jets are without really a quarterback right now, so yeah, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? But they have a great defense, so and I think I also think that the the Jets are going to win that game too. Okay. But anyway, moving on, we're going to focus on this. So, so we both so we both pick Miami, and yeah. I'm super surprised. Uh, so you don't think Tyrod Taylor plays, I even don't. though there is a chance that he will play. Uh, so if he does play and the Bills win, so do I, do I have to change the pick retroactively? No. <laughs> okay, okay, no problem. On the record, Dolphins, no matter what. Yeah. So you can't come out and say, well, I told you no. that Tyrod played, they won, no. they would win. And Okay, Dolphins, Dolphins, I'm still uh, shocked at that. I mentioned that the Miami Dolphins and Buffalo Bills are one game back of the wild card spots in the AFC. Those two spots in the AFC, in terms of the wild card, are held by the 4-3 and three New York Jets and the 4-3 and three Oakland Raiders, who beat the Jets, dismantled the Jets yes, last week in the Bay Area at O.C.O. Coliseum. The Raiders are 4-3, and three, and they travel across the country and take on the Pittsburgh Steelers at 4-4, four and four, who just lost a home game against a pretty good team, an undefeated team, the Cincinnati Bengals. In that game, Ben Roethlisberger comes back from his knee injury, but... In that game, Le'Veon Bell goes down with a knee injury, torn MCL, out Out. for the season. D'Angelo Williams, who did pretty well in his stead when Le'Veon Bell was suspended the first two games of the season, he's going to be the feature back as well. So you have the Raiders at 4-3, holding on to a playoff spot right now. 4-4 Pittsburgh Steelers. Those two teams know that they're not going to win their divisions. Oakland's 4-3, and three, the Denver Broncos are running away, running away with the AFC West. Pittsburgh's 4-4, and four, Bengals are 8-0, right. the Bengals are going to win the AFC North. So this is a huge game, mm-hmm. especially with playoff implications mm-hmm. and tiebreakers, because it looks as if both Oakland and Pittsburgh will be right there for mm-hmm. one of the wild card spots. One of these teams is going to own a head-to-head win against the other. So which team is going to hold the head-to-head win against the other. The Raiders on the road going against the Steelers, or the Steelers holding home court at home in the Steel City against the Raiders. This is a tough one. I think this is the toughest pick you have on here. Yeah. This is a tough one. I watched some of the Oakland game last week. Oakland's playing 
decent this year. I, another team that's kind of surprised me this year. I, either one of these teams could win. <laughs> um, I'm my job's to make it not easy. I'm gonna go with Pittsburgh. You go with Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Pittsburgh. Uh, you don't Convincing. I know. I'm going with. I'm going with Pittsburgh. Roethlisberger's yeah. back. Yeah, I'm going with Pittsburgh. If I told you Ben Roethlisberger had 15 touchdowns and three interceptions. Would you be surprised if I told you Ben Roethlisberger Mm -hmm. has 15 touchdowns, three interceptions? He doesn't, okay? If I told you Derek Carr has 15 touchdowns and three interceptions, would you be surprised? Yes. Derek Carr has 15 15 touchdowns and three interceptions. interceptions. I know. to one touchdown-interception ratio. He's doing good this year. (laughs) I I know. I mean, it's... I I am picking Pittsburgh, but... Gingerly, because <laughs> Oakland really could come in there and manhandle them. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see another good game. That'll be another good game this week. Uh, I'm always Larry, and I've said this until the cows come home. And I said it when the Chargers are playing the Vikings and the Chargers playing on the East Coast again. I'm always, always, always Larry of a team located in the Pacific Time Zone yeah. playing a 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific game on the Eastern Time Zone. But at the same time, for some reason, even though they really only play each other probably once every three years or four years, right. either I'm trying to remember the stat. Either the Raiders have won the last four against the Steelers or four of the last five against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And some of those Raiders teams during that span have been really, really bad. Um, I do remember a game probably a few years ago when the Steelers were fighting for a playoff spot went into Oakland against a bad Raiders team, and it's just probably like three years ago, and Oakland won that game, essentially ended any chance the Steelers had at a playoff spot. (sighs) I'm actually going to go against what I usually think about West Coast teams going East. Hmm. I do think the Raiders (laughs) go into Pittsburgh, win the game, go to 5-3 on the year. I'm kind of surprised at that as well, and I do... I, I, I almost tend... I agree with you. I think that is might happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I, but sometimes I'm, I'm going with Pittsburgh. I'm yes. going to go with Pittsburgh. Yes, your confidence level yeah. from a 1 to 7 yeah, in terms of the 7 games, that would be the game you would probably assign a 1 to. to yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're split on Pittsburgh and Oakland, and probably I'm going to come back and say, after the Raiders lose, if they lose, see, I shouldn't have gone against what I usually think about West Coast teams going east, playing a 1 o'clock Eastern game, 10 a.m. Pacific. Now we head to a game that probably is the most intriguing because of what we thought about these teams going into the season. The 4-3 St. Louis Rams take on the 5-2 Minnesota Vikings. We have probably, probably, the two best running backs in football right now in this matchup. Adrian Peterson for the Minnesota Vikings and the rookie out of Georgia, Todd Gurley, who in the last four oh, weeks combined insane. has led the National Football yeah. League in rushing. He's in the top ten in rushing in the National he's Football League. Nuts. I think he's only played uh, five games. Yeah, he's um, nuts. Yeah, so he's crazy. Yes, St. Louis coming off a dominating win yeah. against the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. Hey. Anyway. Would you rather have them win seven to six against the 49ers or 27 to six right, against no. the 49ers? So they did what they had yeah. to do right. against a team yeah. that was down. Right. Uh, beat him 27-6, and Colin Kaepernick 
benched. Uh, Blaine Gabbert will start uh, for the uh, San Francisco 49ers in the next game. But we're not talking about the 49ers. We're talking about the Rams. And we're also talking about the Vikings, who are 5-2 and two on the year. The last game they played, a come-from-behind 23-20 victory over the Chicago Bears in overtime. Minnesota scoring a touchdown late in regulation. A long touchdown pass from Teddy Bridgewater to the impressive rookie wide receiver Stephon Diggs. Minnesota able to win it very late in overtime on a Blair Walsh field goal. So you have the Rams at 4-3, and three, the Vikings at 5-2. and two. A Viking win would give them a 6-2 and two start halfway through the year. But the St. Louis Rams have been playing very well. And with the emergence of Todd Gurley, look like one of the more dangerous teams in the NFC. So you were high on the Vikings to begin the season. On an article I wrote for the News Hub, I said the St. Louis Rams were one good draft pick away from being a good team this year. That was before the NFL draft. I wrote yep. that article, and they drafted Todd Gurley. Right, and, and he and they, they <laughs> did a great job. They, they, had a home run. they had a home run. Whew. Rams, Vikings, very intriguing matchup. What do you think, or what do you see, and who do you think may take this, or will take this, in your opinion? I'm going with the Vikings. Going with the Vikings. So you can't back away from the team that you picked to win the division, including, which includes, you know, the Green Bay Packers. I know, I did. I still, I still think they might win the division. <laughs> I'm rooting for that underdog team. You okay. know that. Oh, I, uh, I know you do. Well, you know I root for the underdogs. Um, I, I have high hopes for Minnesota. They're playing really well this year. I mean, yeah, they've lost two. I mean, but that's lost not two. bad. One of them was to Denver three. by yeah. three or yeah. four points. points. Had a chance to win and the they, game at the end. Uh, right. They, I mean, they kept up with Denver. I mean, they... Their losses weren't really, like, horrible losses, no. um, you know. Well, the season of well, against San Francisco, so, yeah. which we don't know how, how that happened. We don't know how that happened either, but since that, they, they, yeah, I'm going Minnesota. Going Minnesota. Well, I agreed with you in the previous show that I like Minnesota, and I would put them near or at a playoff spot going into the season. I don't want to be the pin on the Vikings balloon. But, knew a butt was coming. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, of the five wins that the Minnesota Vikings have had this season, the combined record of the five teams the Vikings have beaten, and two of the teams, well, two of the wins have been against the Lions, so I count the Lions record twice. The combined record of the teams the Vikings have beaten this season, 9-30. and 9-30. and 30. They did play well against the Broncos, but again, 9-30. and 30. Combined record of the teams the Minnesota Vikings have beaten, two wins against the Detroit Lions, a win against the Chicago Bears, a win against the San Diego Chargers as well. So, after the Broncos, this is the best team the Minnesota Vikings will have faced this season sure. so far. And with the way... Todd Gurley is running, and I mentioned that these are the two best running backs right mm-hmm. now in the league, I believe. I don't see this as a passing of the torch from Peterson to Gurley, necessarily, but I do think Todd Gurley continues his run. The Rams are number two in the league in rushing. Mm-hmm. Number two in the league in rushing. And another stat that I came across which impressed me very much, the St. Louis Rams defense, they're the best defense in the red zone. In the red zone. In the red zone. Only 16 times this season, I believe that's the lowest or one of the lowest, only 16 times have the opponents 
entered the St. Louis Rams red zone. Of those 16 times, the opponents have scored touchdowns only five times. So the Rams definitely bend but do not break. Todd Gurley's playing very well. The Rams also have an impressive road win this season. They went on the road, beat Arizona, gave Arizona its first loss when Todd Gurley first burst out onto the scene with over 140 yards in that game. Even though the Rams' passing game leaves a lot to be desired, they can stop the run, sixth in the league in defense, number two in the league in rush offense. They have the momentum. They've proven that they can beat a good team on the road. I do think they beat another good team Mm. on the road at TCF Bank Stadium. I do think the Rams go into Minneapolis and win. I know you can't back away from the Vikings. And after my article saying the Rams are one draft pick (laughs) away and it happens to be Todd Gurley, I can't back away from the St. Louis Rams. There you go. All right. Uh, So we split on that. The New York Giants scored 49 points last week. Yeah, they did. And lost. And still lost. <laughs> to the New Orleans Saints. That was a game. To 49. Yeah. The Saints win in overtime against the, uh, not overtime, excuse me, last second field. Right, that was the last game. Yeah. supposed yeah. to go to overtime, and then the punt, the return, the 15-yard yeah. face mask penalty. Yeah. Um, and then the last second field goal, field goal by yep. Kai Forbath giving the Saints uh, the victory. The Giants lead the division in the NFC East, but are at 500 at 4-4, four and four, and they are taking on a team that not too many people had expectations for, although at the very end, right before the season started, I picked them to win their division. But they're probably not going to win their division because Carolina is 7-0 and and the Falcons are 6-2, and but mm-hmm. the 3-4 and four Tampa Bay Buccaneers are starting to come on. Two of their wins on the road against the New Orleans Saints, who are now a resurgent New Orleans Saints team, and last week, beating the 6-1 and one Atlanta Falcons on the road in overtime. Jameis Winston, his first four games, the number one pick of the overall draft, seven interceptions in his first four games. The Buccaneers won in three. In his last three games, Buccaneers won, excuse me, two and one. Jameis Winston, four touchdowns, no picks. The one loss was the game where the Buccaneers were up 24 to nothing against Washington, and Washington came back, won the game um, in the last second, and that's the game where Kirk Cousins uh, yelled, you like that, you like that, um, and became the uh, popular vine. That was against the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers easily could be coming in here with A, a three-game winning streak, and B, a winning record um, if they won that game against Washington. And again, my apologies to the NFC South because if the Buccaneers were to win this game, and the New Orleans Saints were to win against the Tennessee Titans on Sunday, that the only division that would have all of its teams at least 500 or better is the team I buried at the very beginning of the season, the division I buried, the NFC South. <laughs> so the New York Giants are 4-4, four and four, coming off a tough loss against another NFC South team, the New Orleans Saints. On the road in Tampa against the 3-4 and four Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Do the Buccaneers really get back in this playoff race and go to 4-4? Four and four, Or do the New York Giants get to 5-4 and four and still hold the NFC East lead for another week? I'm going to go with Tampa. Go with Tampa. Tampa. Mm-hmm. The team that mm-hmm. a lot of us thought wouldn't do jack, jack. this season. Yeah, I'm going to go to Tampa. You're, Tampa. Yeah. You're riding the uh, Buccaneers momentum. I think so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just, you know, watch, I watched a lot of the um, Giants last week, and 
there's still a lot of problems on that team, you know, and they're just not cohesive. And Samba is becoming very cohesive, and yes. like you said, they're on kind of a roll right now, and I think that's just going to continue. And, and Giants have a hard time playing on the road, so I, I'm okay. going with Tampa. They do. Um, but at the same time, the Giants usually have a pretty good history yeah. against the, uh, good recent history against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They do, but... Um, Eli Maddox playing well, uh, pass a rating of almost 100, but that game he has to, uh, last week... Uh, you know, video game numbers. Drew Brees tying an NFL record, seven touchdown passes. Eli Manning, very deficient, only only had six touchdown passes uh, in that game. Just absolute video game numbers. And it does make you worry about the Giants' defense. I know it's New Orleans at home, and if you catch Drew Brees on a good day at home, you're going to get torched. Yeah, and they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. And I guess Drew Brees had a great, great day. day. <laughs> okay, and uh, they got torched. Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough for me, because at first I thought, yeah, I think Tampa can win this. Um, and the New York Giants defense has not been a defense that really strikes fear in any quarterback, and I don't think it'll strike fear in a rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, and if uh, Jameis Winston is on target, he's been playing so much better yes. in the uh, past few weeks. I do think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have more than just a good shot. And also, before I make my prediction, um, I do want to, and we, as a lot of sports talk, want to send our condolences to one of the linebackers for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Quan Buchanan, who two days before the Sunday game against the Atlanta Falcons, his 17-year-old younger brother was shot dead. And two days later, he decided to play in the game against Atlanta, and all of us would have understood if he decided not, not to, to play. play. Uh, he ended up playing, had 11 tackles. Had the best game, of, had the, best game of the season. At, you know, forced a turnover as well, and they gave him the game ball, and obviously he was in tears and very emotional. So we definitely want to send our uh, condolences to Quan Buchanan, linebacker for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, he could have not played. He could have just dressed up and not you know, been part of the game, and he would have been, you know, our player of the game, and just for being, uh, I mean, it's almost indescribable uh, to have to go to work within 48 hours of having that happen, and then literally have your best day on the job after that. It's just uh, absolutely remarkable, so we definitely want to send our condolences to Quan Buchanan, and um, I do believe that uh, Tampa Bay does win this game. Um, and they go to four I think he's going to have another good game this week, yeah. too. <laughs> I do believe Tampa wins this game. And if Tampa wins this game and they're 4-4, four and four, then you never know. You really never know. Uh, the Vikings are 5-2. and two, The Rams are 4-3. and three. Those are the two teams that are sort of setting the pace in terms of the wild card spots. Always have to be leery of the Seattle Seahawks. They're 4-4 four and four and trending upward as well. So we both have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home beating the Giants, which means that there will be a whole lot of negativity in the city that we live in if the Giants come back home <laughs> with a two-game losing streak. Uh-huh. And then going up against the New England Patriots. So, very New York's not doing well with sports right now. So, yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. There may be Mets fans listening. So yeah, I know. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay. Um, so, 
we transition back to the AFC, and we go from one Manning to another Manning. The Denver Broncos, 7-0 and on the year, and they're taking on the Indianapolis Colts, the place that Peyton Manning called home for so many years. The Colts are 3-5, and Denver 7-0. and We talked about the Colts' struggles, but they're still in first place. They played well, at least in the fourth quarter in overtime, against the Carolina Panthers. They're facing another undefeated team. Emotions will be high. Peyton Manning's back again in Indianapolis. Is there any, is there any way that the Colts keep it close, let alone win? No. No. You think this is a steamroll? Steamroll. Denver goes into Indianapolis and just marches on. Yep. No problem. Marches on. No problem. Absolutely no problem. Yeah, I do think that I do think this. Game, Luck's going to see a, a lot of the ground. Uh, yeah, he may very. You know what? Talk about the struggles of the offensive line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I'm going to just pull out through that offensive yeah, line. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. This is going to be. I, that's not even going to watch. It's 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 going to be a wrap. Yeah, you wait until the Colts have a 17-3 lead early in the second quarter. You wait. Okay. You wait. I, I'll text you. Here. Here. Te- all right. I'll the Colts are going to have a two-touchdown lead. Okay. Watch them have a two-touchdown okay. lead in the second quarter. I I will text you. It's second quarter. In second quarter, Colts two touchdown okay. lead. All right. Okay. All right. I'm marking it down. Right. I'm also so. marking down a Denver comeback from two touchdowns down and winning the game. Oh, I think this is going to be a complete opposite of that. But okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Wait until the, the okay. Colts have a two touchdown lead. We're talking <laughs> okay. to each other All right. on Sunday. We, so, well, but, we, but we both believe that Denver uh, will win the game. And then we have the Sunday night game from Arlington, Texas. The 3-4 and four Philadelphia Eagles against the 2-5 and five Dallas Cowboys. And I know what you're saying. 3-4 and four Eagles, 2-5 and five Cowboys. Who cares? <laughs> but let's really delve into this a little bit deeper. Yes, the Cowboys are 2-5. and five. Yes, the Cowboys haven't won a game since Tony Romo got hurt. Yes, Tony Romo is not back uh, for this game. But if you look at the five losses that the Cowboys have incurred in this five-game run where they have lost, three of the five losses have come by seven points, or fewer. Mm-hmm. They lost by six to New Orleans in overtime. They lost by seven in a game we attended to the New York Giants, where the defense really only was responsible for allowing 13 points. Mm-hmm. And the defense only allowed 13 points against the Seattle Seahawks last week. The right. problem was the Cowboys only scored 12 right. and lost by one. The first game of the five-game losing streak was against the Atlanta Falcons, a game in which the... Cowboys led 14 to nothing and 28 to 14 without Tony Roma playing. But they ended up losing that game by 11, 39 to 28. The other game they lost in that stretch against the New England Patriots. Everybody's losing against the New England Patriots. So for the five games without Tony Romo, the Cowboys have been there. They've been there, but they just haven't been able to close out. And if the Cowboys win this game, they will have a season sweep of the Philadelphia Eagles. And in that division, where being 2-5 and five gets you one game back of first place in the loss column, that's going to be big. If the Cowboys win this game, they'll have two wins against the Philadelphia Eagles. They already have a win against the New York Giants. They lost to them later on. They will, they will be 3-1 and one in the division. They still have two games against Washington. And that division record can come in big, especially in this division, this year in terms sure. of tiebreakers. Yes. For the Philadelphia Eagles, they're three and four. They are tied for first place with the Giants in the loss column. But let's put it this way. If the Eagles win this game and they're four and four, 
before the season started, if you said the Eagles were 4-4 four and four at the halfway point, you would say, I'm disappointed. But if you said after the first three games the Eagles played, or first four games, that the Eagles would be 4-4 four and four at the halfway point, you would say, we'll take it. With the way the Eagles started, they started terrible. Yep. But they could be 4-4 four and four as well and stay with the New York Giants in the loss column for first place in the NFC East. So, it's more important than you think, especially if the Cowboys win and they're Division record and a sweep of the Eagles if they win, and they've been close in these games. Matt Castle will start again for the Dallas Cowboys Sunday night. Cowboys, Eagles, can the Cowboys, well, they can snap their five-game losing streak. Will the Cowboys snap their five-game losing streak against one of their bitter rivals, Philadelphia? No. No. You don't see it? Nope. Even after the whole setup? Nope. That I gave you. Yes. They've been close. I know. Very close. I know. I hate the Cowboys. <laughs> so, so are you picking the Eagles because of hate? Partially. <laughs> You're honest. Partially. <laughs> okay. Partially. You're honest. Partially. They can't close games. And Matt Castle's a very inconsistent quarterback. I, don't know it's, I mean, he's better than most, I guess. But, it, yeah. yeah, no. <laughs> no? Uh, I'll make it quick. How about them Cowboys? I think they can. Let me tell you. Last week, they only lost 13 points to Seattle. I know. I, I, I don't think it's going to be a blowout by Philly. Yeah. That, I, no. It's going to be a close game. Last week, the Cowboys' defense only lost 13 I points. I know. The week before that, the Cowboys allowed 27 points, but the Cowboys' defense defense was only responsible for allowing 13 to the touchdowns for the Giants. The defense has stepped up quite a bit. I will yeah. give you that. Two of the touchdowns for the Giants that game was an interception return for a touchdown by Dominic rogers Cromarty and a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown by former Cowboy Dwayne Harris after the Cowboys had tied the game in the fourth quarter. So the Cowboys' defense for the past few weeks has not gotten help from the Cowboys' offense, and the Correct. Cowboys' defense has done very well. That Des Bryant was came back last week. You have another week with Matt Castle. Darren McFadden is running the ball very well the past few weeks. Had over 150 yards a couple of weeks ago against the New York Giants, who came into that game the number one defense against the run, the Giants. And Darren McFadden ran for over 150 yards in that game. I believe he has 275 in, the, in his past two weeks. A player that I thought was washed up yeah. after his time with Oakland. Yeah. I do think the Cowboys close this game out. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not a big fan of the Cowboys, of the Eagles' offense, and definitely not a fan of the Eagles' offense going up against this Cowboys' defense the way they're playing. And I do think the Cowboys get okay. score enough points. Enough. They're not going to score that much. They'll get enough points, and they'll hold Philly down and win on Sunday. So those are the third down games, the third down and seven. So now we get to our fourth down segment. You know our fourth down segment by now. I provide a hypothetical situation. Holly either goes for it and believes that the hypothetical situation will come true or punts it. The hypothetical situation will not come through. And our hypothetical situation is about our undefeated teams. November 25th, 1990 was a special day for me and one of the more memorable days for me in terms of following the National Football League. On November 25th, 1990, the New York Giants and San Francisco 49ers went into that day undefeated and 10-0. The week after, those two teams were going to play on Monday Night Football with the real possibility that both teams would be 11-0 meeting up against each other on Monday night. Unfortunately for both teams... On that Sunday, November 25th, 1990, 
both the New York Giants against the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers against the Los Angeles Rams both lost and then went to their monumental matchup at 10-1 and each. The 49ers won that game, but then the Giants got the ultimate revenge in the NFC Championship game, defeated the 49ers in San Francisco to go on to the Super Bowl, and then the Giants won the Super Bowl against a certain team from Western New York. <laughs> All right? So that was November 25th, 1990. November 26th, 2015 is Thanksgiving, and there are four undefeated teams. So my question to you is very simple. Unlike November 25th, 1990, when we were so close to having multiple undefeated teams, on November 26th, 2015, when we're carving up our turkeys, there will be multiple undefeated teams still. More than one Correct. undefeated team. We have four undefeated teams. New England, Denver, Cincinnati, and Carolina. I will quickly read you their games before November 26th. New England, this week, home to Washington, on the road against the New York Giants, home on a Monday night against the Buffalo Bills. Denver, at Indianapolis this Sunday, home to Kansas City, at Chicago. Cincinnati, home to Houston, at Arizona, Sunday night. Carolina, home to Green Bay, and you, and you pick Green Bay. So in this scenario, there will be only three left. At Tennessee, home to Washington, and on November 26th, Thanksgiving, Carolina plays the Dallas Cowboys. So my hypothetical situation to you, again, is this. Unlike November 26, 2000. Unlike November 26, 1990, when we were this close to having multiple undefeated teams, on November 26, 2015, Thanksgiving, there will be multiple undefeated teams. Punting or going for it? Going for it. There will be. There will be? Yeah. So who will they be? New England, Cincinnati. You think Cincinnati will end up beating Arizona? Mm-hmm. No, you think Arizona will beat Cincinnati? Oh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm picking picking New England England and Cincinnati are going to be the undefeated. So who's Denver losing to? Indianapolis, Kansas City, Chicago. Oh, all right, so Denver will be in there, too. So the only one that's... Yeah, no, you're right. So you picked Carolina to lose today. This week. But the other three should still be undefeated. So you think Cincinnati beats Arizona? I do. And gets November 26th undefeated Thanksgiving. You think Denver sweeps Indianapolis, Kansas City, Chicago? Yeah. And you think New England yeah. sweeps Washington at the New York Giants, yeah. home to Buffalo, before on November 29th, New England plays at Denver. That game, I can't <laughs> wait for. Because I, if New England's going to lose, that's the game they'll lose. But um, I don't think so. You think there will be. I predicted New England's perfect season, and I'm still going with that. Okay, okay. Now, again, you pick Carolina to lose to Green Bay. Yeah, that's Cincinnati can. Lose to Arizona. They could, but I don't think they're going to. Okay. And even with New England and Denver seemingly having easy roads to their matchup, this is the National Football League. Yeah, and, and you're going to say that. <laughs> this is the National Football League. I think there'll be, th- be three. I do. You think there'll be three and I think. on the AFC? Uh, yeah. New England, Denver, and Carolina. Yeah. So November 26th, so Thanksgiving, when you're... No, I say New England, Denver, and Cincinnati. Yeah, so on Thanksgiving, you think 
All three mm-hmm. of the AFC teams mm-hmm. that are undefeated stay undefeated November yes. 26, 2015. Yes. Um, okay, well, I guess it's yes. an easy question, but believe me, and you know this, it's the National Football League. Not everything is as easy as it seems. Right. Uh, so that is our show for week nine. And this week in the National Football League, I thank Holly Culbertson so, so very much for joining me. And um, we will see you down the road. Uh, enjoy week nine of the National Football League. My name is Adishina Koiki. We will see you next time on Down a Distance on a lot of sports talk.com.